Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. Nadeel, how's it going? Pretty good. I think we're officially into summer. I mean, not, you know, meteorologically speaking. That doesn't happen until the 21st, but right, it's above 80. It's nice. It's really nice. It's nice all weekend. It was beautiful. It sounds uh, like it's going to be that way for most of the week this week, except for the weekend we might see a little bit of some thunderstorm activity. But, you know, I like a good summer thunderstorm. So, you know, I've, I've been doing this thing where I've been going for walks, right? People on the internet have told me, some of my critics have told me that I'm not the most svelte of people, right? Are they, they're, taking, they're taking stabs at your appearance. Come on. Yeah, I'm a little, well, to be fair, it's accurate. I'm a chubby dude. And so what I was doing there for a while is I was taking walks, you know, after just trying to work my way into to get into like an exercise routine. So I've been taking walks after the radio show, right? Because it's kind of a nice time. Finish up the show. Go for a, go for a nice walk. Come back finish my day um i had to move up to the mornings though because man it was getting too hot I, i'm an alaskan i can't be out hoofing it through like 80 degree 90 degree weather in the middle of the afternoon so i've been moving i'm getting up early and uh going out for uh going out for a walk yeah i don't like uh, it when it gets that warm out there i i, I bike ride and yeah. i usually go for my i had been going for a bike ride right after i got home from work but that's for me usually around like four thirty five o'clock it's still really hot out there, and I'm pushing it back to like eight. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, you you can't do it like that. It's just not comfortable. My other problem is I can only sleep a certain number of hours at a time. Like it seems like I get much past like five hours of sleep. I can't I can't sleep anymore. Right, I'll wake up. So the other night over the weekend, I I was we've, we've had like a little bit of a I don't want to call it a cold, but just a little bug floating around. I was watching the uh, Yankees Blue uh, Blue Jays game. And I was uh, I was sitting there, couldn't keep my eyes open, right, nodding off. So it's like eight o'clock, and I go tell my wife. I said, I I gotta go to bed. I just I'm not feeling good. So I go to bed at eight. I was up at three thirty in the morning for the day. Just, oh no! Yeah, just I I woke up and I rolled over and I'm like, oh god, it's still dark, <laughs> and I'm not going back to sleep. It's three thirty in the morning. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I I just I I can't sleep much. I. It's like I, it's like I don't need to sleep. I just I don't know. Anyway, we're not here to discuss my uh, my uh, sleep patterns. We've got some serious stuff to get to. Judge uh, Frank Rasick is going to join me in a moment, along with his uh, law clerk Matthew Durth. They wrote a uh, paper, and this has been a hot topic in North Dakota. The legislature passed uh, some bills about this regarding. I, I guess it falls under the, the the umbrella heading of criminal justice reform, and. How, but I, I think it might be more accurately described as how can we keep our community safe and perhaps even make them safer while not putting so many people in jail? And they have some ideas. I, I posted uh, their article on sayanythingblog.com last week. I wanted to get them on to talk about it a little bit more in depth because I do think it is an important issue for our state, for our region. Uh, and some of the ideas I think they have are, are pretty good. So we'll talk with them about that. Of course, your phone call, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see. I have my, my Sunday newspaper column was about uh, President Trump and some of the anti-Trump hysteria. And Natil, I've, I've, I don't know if you read my Sunday column, but I, I've made this point before about and, and I'm not the reasonable criticism of Trump. I have no problem with what I am talking about is some of the more extreme types of, of, of rhetoric and, and manifestations of, of 
dislike of uh, President Trump. And I, I have talked about that it's a little dangerous that, that some on the left are, are reaching a point where they're feeling justified in acts of violence, right? We saw it on Inauguration Day. We saw it shortly after the election. I mean, we've seen a lot of instances where people have convinced themselves that President Trump is a fascist, and therefore they are fighting fascism by going out in the street and destroying things and committing property crimes and beating people up. Uh, and, and to be fair, there's been some Trump supporters who have gone over the line as well, I guess mostly in response to the protesters. I don't know. It's not a good thing. And my Sunday column was about a very sad story about a woman from Africa. She had come to the United States. She'd been living in Delaware. She was found dead uh, out out in the out in rural Minnesota, uh, up uh, north of Grand Forks, where she she was found dead. Apparently, having tried to cross the border into Canada. Now, this has been a a trend lately where we're having a lot of people who are. I guess, trying to flee the United States into Canada. And the blame for that most of the time goes to President Donald Trump and because of his policies, right? And, and to be sure, our president is intemperate. He has a tendency to say inflammatory and irresponsible things. I think that that is a valid criticism of him, and it's something I hope he will change. Or I wish he would change. That said, at what point... Do Trump's critics deserve some? And at, at what point do Trump's critics deserve some blame as well? And and I guess that's my question for you: is when you've got people on cable television, you've got, you know, you've got Kathy Griffin who's doing mock beheadings of the president. You have a CNN anchor who over the weekend uh, suggested that Donald Trump uh, might be trying to invite terrorist attacks here in the United States in pursuit of some political agenda. When you have this this hysteria going on, you know, people carrying on as though Trump is some dictator, some Hitler figure, as opposed to a duly and lawfully elected leader for our country who is certainly divisive, certainly controversial, but has not done anything so far to lead us to believe that he's a dictator. If, if we are carrying on like this man is a dictator... If, if, if that's the way people are, if we're just accepting that, where people can glibly on cable television refer to this guy as a dictator and worse to suggest that he wants violence and, and whatever else, if we're at that point as a country, we're just saying this stuff, is it any wonder that people are scared? I I, I worry if, if we could, could continue... This level of heated rhetoric, and I've, I've heard this in the past, you know, under President Obama, under President Bush, where people are, are talking about the tenor of the debate and everything, and I thought it was a lot of baloney back then. Um, I didn't think it was that bad back then, but, but under Trump, it seems particularly bad, and, I, and I'm wondering if, if people, journalists, pundits, whoever, people just on social media if we maybe need to start thinking a little bit more and cooling it down a little bit, because I'm afraid if we keep building this fire higher and higher, if we keep stoking this heat, we're going to end up with some pretty dangerous situations. What do you think? Love to hear it. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Rob Report on 970 WDAY, 701 Email talk at WDAY.com. Switching gears here, uh, Governor Doug Burgum has a uh, column in the uh, in the Fargo Forum. I'm, I'm sure probably it's going to be in other newspapers as well. Um, talking about his Main Street initiative, uh, which is it's sort of been this this nebulous policy proposal that he sort of trotted out during his his uh, general election campaign, and I, I mean refers to it now and then, and it certainly talks about it and talks about. I guess sort of the general themes we have yet to, I guess, see any, any, certainly not during the legislative session, see any specific policy proposals that plug into it. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure as, as a matter of practical policy what it is, but he's got a column today and he's talking about it and it's, it's a lot about revitalizing downtowns in North Dakota. And, and I got to tell you, the reaction, and, and certainly I, I wrote about it at sayanythingblog.com and I predicted that the reaction from a lot of people was going to be that this is just more of the, you know, Let's uh, let's give money to downtown. Let's let's do more incentives. Which I, there's a there's a big swath of of North Dakotans who don't really go down to downtowns that much. They don't have businesses downtown. Um, they're not really all that interested in downtown. And you know, certainly, you know, I the, the economic development crowd, and I mean, it's it's all very. It's all very, um, what's the word? It's all very appealing, I, I, I think, to a certain class, right? The, the, the sort of economic development class, the downtown, the, I, I don't know the word for them. I want to say elite, but I, that sounds unfair. I, I think a lot of people say, well, let's be revitalized downtown. And it's like, what everybody hears is, well, okay, well, let's do more handouts, you know, from the politicians to these, you know, well-connected business people and developers and, and that's that and so i'm worried when Burgum says talks about the main street initiative that that's what people are going to hear and i do think that there's an aspect of it though that could be very appealing in a much broader level because i have i've actually sat in a room and had him explain this to me and one thing that he talks about is the footprint of of cities and what that costs in tax dollars and he's basically saying, you know, as these cities grow, as they annex more land along them, and then they, we push development out into those areas, the city is on the hook. And, and when I say the city, I, of course, mean the people who pay taxes to the city are on the hook for providing services to those areas, right? So every new square mile of, of residential development on the edge of Fargo or Grand Forks or Bismarck or whatever is more area that needs police protection. It's more area that needs fire protection. It's more area that needs sewer service, water service. It's more roads that need to be plowed and maintained and swept. There's a lot that goes into that. And so when these communities begin to sprawl, it runs up the costs for providing the services that everybody agrees that they want for those areas. And so I, I think that this is an area that if Burgum's going to talk about his Main Street initiative, and I, I do wish that he would define it perhaps a little better. I wish we could finally maybe get around to putting some meat on this bone. But if he's going to talk about this, I feel like this is an area where we're talking about the cost of sprawl in terms of tax dollars that could be appealing to 
the average North Dakotan. Because, again, I, I think the average North Dakotan, you talk about downtown or whatever, it really affects a relatively small number of people, right? I mean, people like the idea of downtown, but as a practical matter, most people aren't spending a lot of time down there. And, and, and by, but when I say most people, I'm talking about across the state of North Dakota or across an entire community like Fargo. I think people like the idea of it. I think people, you know, but how often do actually people go down there? I'd actually like to see some studies. I mean, how, how many people are actually impacted by this? So I think if Burgum sort of shifts gears and makes it not just about downtown, but makes it about denser development or a better approach to development that's going to keep local governments more efficient and keep taxes down, well, now that is something that is going to appeal to a much broader swath of North Dakotans, right? Because it's not just about downtown anymore. Now it's about more efficient government. Now it's about keeping taxes low. Those are things that appeal to a much broader demographic of North Dakotans than talking about downtown, than, than saying, well, you know, we, we want to have this this wonderful downtown area. Now, I, I think that if I, Bergham is obviously very invested in downtowns, so much so that the quip I often get from legislators is, why didn't he run to be mayor of Fargo instead of governor of North Dakota, which, you know, maybe that's a discussion for another show. Um, but I, I think if we talk about that, if we, if we talk about, well, maybe what we need to do is tie the cost of developing sprawl, tie that to the development, right? So, I mean, if there's going to be ongoing costs for police, to, to, you know, police protection and fire protection, everything, how do we more closely tie those costs to that development? And if that development, that sprawling development is appropriately priced, if it's priced so that we don't end up with the whole city subsidizing the sprawl and we're spreading out the cost of that sprawling development to everybody then maybe you see people turn back and say well maybe it would be better to do denser development in areas that have existing infrastructure this is a very powerful very compelling part of Burgum's main street initiative argument his his debate his his proposal i guess i i think if he takes that tact it's going to be it's going to be a better sort of discussion to have because what, what i'm afraid is it's going to turn into to, to more of the same old same old about the economic development councils and the same you know the usual suspects getting together with their hands out and if that's how the public perceives it whether it's fair or unfair and again i i don't i still don't know exactly what it is Burgum's proposing in terms of actual policy but if that's how the public perceives it and in politics perception is reality then he's going to have a problem because I don't, I don't see that there's a big appetite in North Dakota for more incentives or more screwing around with, with tax exemptions or credits or whatever to spur more downtown development. I just, I think people are very worn out on that. I think the legislature has actually been working on trying to roll a lot of bat that out, eliminate a lot of duplication in the existing statutes. I, I, I think there's an appetite there to narrow the focus of that stuff. That maybe, maybe not eliminate it then perhaps narrow it down to areas that are more effective because, and again, I mean, there's a lot of stories out there where people have been burned by those economic development stories where, you know, you put a lot of money in and some company or the other gets a lot of tax, you know, breaks or whatever, credits, exemptions, and it doesn't work out. Um, that's a hard thing. By the way, Burgum's personal business connections to downtown development. I mean, I know he's, he sort of recused himself from his businesses, but he, 
very much has an interest in downtown development. He needs to be careful about that as well. All right. Next, uh, coming up, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about criminal justice reform. Judge Frank, Frank Rasek and uh, his clerk, Matthew Durth, on the program with me next. 701-293-9000, We'll be right back. Don't go away. And sharp as a tack. She's playing with her jewelry. She's putting up her hair. She's doing. Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. 701-293-9000. That's a toll-free number. You can uh, tweet me at Rob Port, or you can even send me emails, talk at WDAY.com. The uh, the legislature, I, I guess I've been calling it criminal justice reform. I, I guess the term uh, everybody's using is justice reinvestment. It was a big issue with the legislature. Uh, and I, I, I think it was a very, very healthy debate to have because in our state, and it's it's a problem in other states, but certainly in our state, we were putting a lot of people in jail. And it's not necessarily, you know, I, I think most people look at criminal justice, they think, well, people commit crimes, you put them in jail. And that's, it's more complicated than that. And I, I, I think what the legislature did was an attempt to address that complexity and perhaps reach some better outcomes. Anyway, uh, th- there was an article recently that was circulating, and I, I got their permission to republish it on SayAnythingBlog.com, which I was happy to do. Um, and it was uh, an article from uh, Judge Frank Rasick, uh, as well as his uh, law clerk, Matthew Durth. And they are both on with me uh, today to uh, talk a little bit about their article, which you can read at, at SayAnythingBlog.com. Uh, they write, I quote, incarceration and its negative effects are costly and detrimental to society. Many of the offenders who are currently locked up are not best served by the prison system. For justice reinvestment to be successful, these offenders must be effectively treated and managed within the community. These individuals are more likely to reoffend, are more difficult to treat and manage, and are more likely to be revoked if on probation. If society is not best served by these individuals being imprisoned, what is the solution for rehabilitation? Gentlemen, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having us on. Judge, uh, let let me start with you. What do you think of what the legislature did, first of all? Is it a step in the right direction? Are we going the right direction? Well, I don't know if uh, I don't know if direction matters. The current situation is the prisons full, and the policy decisions been made that we can't build any more prisons, and we need to find a better way of dealing with those particular problems. So, um, we have to try to make the system as successful as we can so how i mean what what do we do i mean the prison's full we can't we're not building more capacity so what are we what are we doing i mean because obviously you know i i think there's a general consensus out there we don't want to keep putting so many people in jail but how do we how do we not how do we avoid that without well you know keeping our communities as, as safe as we want them to be yeah do you have time for a couple of examples Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, let's say we have somebody that we're working with on probation. Um, We'll just call him Jerry for simplicity, but Jerry's got some underlying mental health issues, and when Jerry takes his medicine like he's supposed to, he he does just fine in the community. 
But when he gets off his medicine, he starts to abuse substances, he self-medicates, he gets in trouble with the law, and he ends up eventually in jail and on probation. Uh, last time Jerry was out at the Human Service Center, he, they had a ruckus out there, and he kicked the potted plant over in the waiting room and threatened the receptionist. So now they don't want to see him at the Human Service Center, so he isn't getting his medicine. He eventually gets in trouble again, and he gets his probation revoked. At the time somebody gets their probation revoked, um, really the, the local court has three choices right now. We put them in prison, we put the people in jail, or we, we just simply release them back onto the streets untreated. And now our prison's full, and our jail, our local jail's at capacity, and more and more we have to release people back onto the street untreated. And I think what the legislature is telling us in these justice reinvestment bills is that between the police department and the sheriff and probation and the courts and the regional human service center, we have to find a better way of getting Jerry to take his medicine than sending him to prison for a year every time we can't get it done because that costs us approximately $42,000 to do that. So um, I think that's the message. We have to try to figure out a better way. And we know um, some of the problems we have in the current system is being specific on the issues we're addressing with some of these individuals and um, being able to do it quickly enough so that they don't get into more trouble. But generally, we want room in the prison for the dangerous and violent people. Right now, we're running out of room for anybody. So we want the dangerous and violent ones. We want prison as an option for them. Um, and some of these other folks that... Uh, Maybe there's other solutions for that are better, because we know when Jerry gets out of prison, if we send him there for a year, he's going to have lost his housing. He will have lost his Social Security. He still won't be able to go to the Human Service Center to get his medicine. He'll have been around antisocial people now for a year, and he comes back to us in, with more problems than when we sent him there to begin with. And he was only gone for a, few period, or a period of a few months, and now we have to start the cycle all over again. And we just have too many people like that. It's filled the prison up. Matthew, as, as, as you guys looked at this situation, how much of the problem, because I've, I've interviewed our, our director of, of corrections, uh, Leanne Birch, before, and, and one thing that, that she talked about was the legislature sometimes over-criminalizing things, where you know she cited, for example, uh, extending, you know, the, I think there was a statute, and, and you guys are the legal experts, so you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but there was a statute at one point where you know, if, 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 if you, like, pushed a police officer, it was, like, automatic, a certain automatic sentence, and they extended that to, like, first responders. And she had an example of somebody who was maybe having, uh, you know, they were drunk or they were stoned or something like that, uh, and they, you know, they're, they're, so they're trying to strap up to a gurney, and they, they kick a, uh, a first responder. Is putting that, you know, is making it so that person automatically goes to jail. How much of it is stuff like that, I, I guess, is my question, like just over-criminalizing things. Is that part of this problem? Well, what I would say, I guess, first, um, you know, as the judiciary, you know, we kind of look at a different part of that, of the, the, the problem as a whole. You know, we really, we're dealing with often the what happens after the offenders have already been charged. You know, what I would say, though, as far as as offenses go, what the statistics actually show here is that the prison population and the number of people that are actually either incarcerated right now or on probation and parole, 
Um, those two numbers have actually increased far uh, quicker than than the number of crimes we're adding. Like, if you uh, just as an example here, so um, from '95 to to 2015, so you're talking about a 20-year span. We've added, I think, just over 200 felony offenses to the books. You know, I think roughly around there. I don't know the exact number, but somewhere around 200. So you're looking at somewhere from I think about 550 or so offenses on the books to around 700 if you're looking at the the overall number of of offenses that are actually committed each year. And excuse me, and, and what I mean by that is specifically we're talking about the the percentage of of people that are actually then convicted of, of felony offenses, right? We, what we actually see here, though, are the numbers of people that are actually incarcerated or on probation and parole are actually um, exploding, like far beyond that. So we're talking about. Uh, situations where the number, the one-day counts for people on probation or parole are, you know, almost quadruple what they were 20 years ago, right? So it's really not, I mean, maybe uh, over-criminalization is, is one factor, but really the problem that we're running into right now is the fact that the people that, that go into the system then are not rehabilitated effectively. And so it, it's more a matter of that we then see them over and over again. You know, if, if it was simply a matter of too many laws in the books, then that could be solved purely through the legislative process. Sure. But what we found over time is that that's really not, you know, the only consideration we have here. We're too many people are going to prison too quickly, and they're not they're not getting their needs met while they're there. They're not getting the the treatment, the rehabilitation they need. And so then, as Judge Rasick said, we we find them over and over again coming through this this revolving cycle. And you know, at this point, our prisons have just They've, they've filled up so quickly, and you know, over time it's become so costly that now we're, you know, we're kind of on the cusp of potentially another public safety crisis because now we, we, can't, sure. we can't merely put them all away. Judge, I, it, it, it sounds like, from, from what Matthew was just saying, it sounds like we're sort of treating our jails like a penalty box, right? Like you do something wrong, we stick you in the box, you sit there for a while, and then we let you out of the box, and, we, I mean, nothing's changed, right? We haven't done something to, to change your trajectory so you won't keep doing the things that put you in the box. Is that a fair metaphor for what's going on here? Um, yeah, partly. I mean, the, the jail plays an important role in what we're trying to do. People have to have consequences for their actions, but they need consequences, both positive and negative. But if you, if you um, are to look at the, at the science uh, that the Department of Corrections is trying to promote, the science in the last 40, 50 years has, has really become much more advanced. And they can tell us with some specificity the seven different things that make a person more likely to commit criminal acts. Substance abuse is a big one. Being unemployed is a big one. Uh, hanging around with antisocial people is another one. But there's seven of these different areas. And if you are able, with each individual to look at which of these areas are influencing their propensity for crime. And if you can deal with those specific areas, then, then you significantly reduce their propensity to commit more criminal acts. But we have a system now um, where we judge too much based on the crime. A crime. The crime they committed doesn't tell you much more than if somebody went to the doctor and said, I'm sick. You don't you don't know if it's his foot or if he's throwing up or what the problem is. Uh, we, we base too many things on programs. We have this program, so we're going to put everybody into it. But, but to really to dig down and to 
deal with the issues, you have to look at the people and find which of these areas are specifically affecting them uh, and their propensity to commit crime. And if you deal with those, the evidence suggests that you can just dramatically improve their situation and, re- and reduce the likelihood that they're going to commit more crimes. But how practical is that? I mean, because obviously, I mean, we, we live with, with certain political realities. Lawmakers make the laws. Taxpayers don't like spending money. So, I mean, if, if we're talking about looking at every individual that comes through the criminal justice system, how, as a practical matter, do we accomplish that without running costs far beyond what, what would be politically sustainable? Yeah. As a practical matter, you have to be selective and focus on the people that you're targeting. So you, you really don't want the easy people even in the system, what, you know, what we would consider to be otherwise good people that, that uh, maybe had a one-and-done interaction with the criminal justice system. And we do, we do take a lot of those in because they're easy to work with. It's good for numbers. It's good for success if we take those people in. But the evidence suggests that a lot of those people would be fine if we didn't entangle them in the system. And the people that we really struggle with are this core group of individuals that are that are difficult to deal with. They're people like Jerry. They don't want to deal with them because they they're uncomfortable to deal with. They're they're difficult to get to show up at their appointments, and, and they're problem people. And a lot of times, what we do now is just pass our problems on to somebody else, which eventually is the prison system. So when you take somebody like Jerry and you say it's expensive, you have to ask expensive compared to what. Because right now we spend $42,000 probably every couple yeah. years to send Jerry to the prison for a year. Um, our most expensive probation programs in Fargo are in drug court, and they run about $600 a month per person. And, and many of our people don't need that much supervision. So, um, you know, you're comparing 600 a month to, on the very high end to $3,500 yeah. a month on the low end. And uh, and so I, I think you have to keep things in perspective. We're not we're not trying to catch everybody or, or or analyze everybody. We want the dangerous and the violent in the prison system. We want the people that are low risk, low need, not even in the system. And we want to focus on those people in the middle that keep overutilizing the prison system. Well, Judge uh, Matthew, thank you for your time. I wish we had more because I think this is such an important debate. I think this is such great information. I thank you very much for writing that article. I. I hope it helped, it helped illuminate the issue for some people. So th- thank you again for your time. Yeah, thank you bet. Thank you. More to come straight ahead. We'll wrap the show up right after this. I'm Rob Port. This is The Rob Report on 970 WDAY. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report here on 970 WDAY. Just wrapping things up. Nitil, I, I, I like that we're having this debate. It's it's so complex and it's so hard, and there's no silver bullet answers. I mean, that's the problem is you can't just say, okay, well, we're going to create a program and we're going to solve it, and we're just going to plug everybody into this program, and that's going to take care of the problem. You, you really can't do that. Uh, you know, I, I think that's the problem is, uh, you know, politicians tend to look at these things like that. Like we're just going to if we just pass the right program, that'll solve the problem. And it just I don't I don't know that this problem works like that. Um, you know, I, I think what the judge is saying is you have to uh, 
you have to try to treat each situation evenly. Um, although there, there's also a question there of fairness under the law too. Like, I mean, do you, you know, do you get into an area where you could be perceived as giving giving leniency to some people depending on circumstance? That's problematic as well. But overall, I'm glad we're having this debate. I'm glad we're talking about it, and I'm glad we've perhaps moved beyond this idea that. You know, I, I think sometimes the you know the, the the public's point of view is the only good thing to to do with somebody who breaks the law is throw them in prison, right? And the only thing we want to hear about is how many more guards we're hiring and how many more walls we're building and stuff like that. I I don't think that that's healthy either. I I think this is a good debate to have, even if arriving at the right answers is 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 hard. I'd agree with you there, and especially in an instance like this where. The prison overcrowding problem is not only causing issues for public safety and for uh, rehabilitation of offenders, but it's also causing a lot of strain on taxpayers, on state resources, on our criminal justice system. Right. So something's, something does need to change. And just continuing to put our heads in the sand about it and doing nothing isn't the answer. We have to try something. And if something, the something that we try doesn't work, then we reset and we go again. Yeah. I mean, going to prison is a life-altering thing, right? I mean, if you have, you know, especially in, in this day and age where you can't just move. I mean, it used to be, geez, you go back to the 30s, the 40s, you know, you got into trouble in one place. It's like you could move on and, and try to move past some of that in a new place. But with the Internet, that stuff follows you forever. If you've spent time in jail, it's with you forever. It's life-altering. And it can, I mean, even if you get in some trouble at a young age, and now you got that black mark on you. Can you ever really get past it? Or are you going to continue committing crimes, continue doing things you shouldn't be doing that hurt the community around you, that hurt society around you, because you can't get out from under that? You know, these are questions we got to ask, debates we got to have. And I'm glad I'm glad they wrote the article. I'm glad we're having the debate. Jay Thomas show coming up next. I'll be sticking around for that. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.